right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here got a really fun interview uh, coming here shortly with John Rom. John's the best man. He he was ready to roll. He was prepared. He did his homework. He was fired up. I I, I should have even been more prepared for this interview because I feel like I could have asked him uh, anything I wanted to, and he would have given you a great great opinion on it. So uh, I'm excited how excited he is to talk about golf and everything going on in the golf world. So we recorded this last Friday, uh, January 13th. Some info already dated in there. We talk a little world ranking stuff for how he hasn't passed Cantlay. He now has passed him as of this week. Who knows? He could get passed again by the end of the week. But just throwing that out there for uh, listeners sake, when we say last week, we are talking about the Century Tournament of Champions, not the Sony Open in Hawaii. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Roback. They're back for another year. We're stoked about it. You guys must be buying a lot of their stuff because uh, they are stoked to work with us. They're as excited to work with us as we are with them, which is uh, which is saying a lot because we absolutely love their gear. Their performance polos, they fit way better than typical boxy polos. The collar never loses its shape. The four-way stretch material is soft. It's comfortable. You can wear them on the golf course, not on the golf course. It's a common theme with all of their stuff because their performance Q-zips, uh, they're pretty much the only Q-zips we wear these days. They're the definition of versatile. If you see the social media clip around this, I've got one on and we have that one as well in our show store.nolangup.com. Uh, they got their perfect for a crisp morning on the golf course. They're perfect for lounging around the house. They look great for dressier occasions. I cannot say enough about how versatile uh, the performance Q-zips are. And lastly, the hoodies. They're legitimately the most comfortable hoodies we've worn. You can wear them on the golf course. You can wear them off. They're soft. They're stretchy. You can wear them four days in a row and they won't smell. They're just really, really quality material. I don't think I really fully understood how good a hoodie could be until until Roback started sending us some stuff. So we're stoked to work with them. You can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order. R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, tees, shorts, joggers. They got it all. Code NLU. Kick off your 2023 right with Roback. Roback.com. Here's John Rom. Well, I see this now. We're doing this on video. You might need to be adding some a uh, little bit of shelf space in your office for these uh, these trophies that you're starting to rack up. Do you have a tradition yet for winning? Because it seems to be happening quite a bit. <laughs> oh, you got some space over in there. there. This room, this room. So I wouldn't say there's any traditions. I think everybody expects, oh, we went out and partied all night. And pretty much ever since we might win a Tory is more like I end up so tired. Uh, I'm not the biggest drinker, so I'm like, just take me to bed. Let's have room service and go to sleep. That's kind of how, how my tradition is. We don't. And this time in Maui, uh, we got back and, you know, we have the kids, right? So we went to the pool. Obviously, did have a Mai Tai in the pool, but besides that, nothing, nothing special. Well, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't think dad life would promote a ton of uh, of partying, right? But it's I, I'm just curious as to how you you know, process success, right? I'm sure you want to celebrate the wins, but then professional golf is just always on to the next one, right? You're working out today. You're probably practicing while you're at home. I mean, how do you, how do you not get too high after a win? I guess, is that something you've had to learn? Well, we're in a, we're doing this on a Friday. We're already, you know, halfway through the second day of another tournament. So you can't really, in, in two days, will be another, there'll be the next winner, right? It's another story. So it's, it's just, is the life of a professional golfer. I mean, get that win um it was a little bit different to wins i've had in the past so uh i guess the processing was a little bit different but 
my thought once we you know you have the kids we get home we have the it's a five-hour flight back so we have plenty of time to think there and then the thing is we get home well let's try to make it two in a row in palm springs and then three in a row if that's done in a, a tory i mean that's hmm. that's basically where my mind was at hmm. you can't keep on going i mean i've had the luxury of seeing people start the year amazingly by winning at sony and having uh, sorry at century and having an incredible year after that cam smith being the last one last year so my goal is that hopefully this is the start of a multiple win year what is it like for professional golfers to play that golf course at kapalua i I, i'm fascinated by it it's really fun for me to watch it's just very it's it's you're not hitting stock golf shots is what i love you got to learn to use the slopes you got to learn to there's just all kinds of mind tricks i've i at least my one time seeing it on those greens and stuff but what's it like competing on that golf course on a mountain golf course i'll tell you right now i'm gonna show you something not that i'm promoting your podcast but i was getting ready just so you know i'm like in case it's something i want to address on this on, on our podcast i'm gonna i'm gonna actually listen to what they have to say and it's interesting to have people like you guys play it because all you see is the 20 some under that's yeah. all you see right so everybody assumes it's an easy golf course and it can't be tough like i understand you see you know bogeys as a big mistake over there but they can happen right i think i made more, more bogeys this tournament than ever I ever did in you know in a whole week there and I still ended up winning right so it's it, it happens very very easily the number one under understated thing about the golf course is I don't think you have one flat tee box to be playing on so for example for people that haven't been there three four five ten thirteen fourteen fifteen and sixteen and nine you have a tee box that is on a freaking uphill <laughs> the ball above your feet with left to right wind for the most part into the wind right most of the time you don't practice that that's why sometimes you see a 60 yard fairway and the ball is going sideways it happened to me last year twice on four because you're just not used to hitting a tee shot in an uphill like those sort of things you're not considering right like that's why you'll see a lot of times you see me in a couple shots i'm aiming so far left to make sure that i'm giving room for that ball to fade it's it's something you're not used to seeing. And then on the fairways, again, same answer. The only chance you have of having a flat lie is if you leave it on top of the slope on one and on nine, if you get it, you know, just before it gets a little bit down is the only time really you're going to have a flat lie. Every other lie on the golf course is going to have some type of downslope, side slope going on or upslope. And that's what makes it really, really, really tricky, right? It's you can shoot low, but you still have to make really good swings and it's is what makes it really fun and have the characteristics it has to be the tournament it is and i think being a small field makes it even better now with that said if we didn't have to get into a couple minivans and a couple golf car rides i don't think anybody would go and play that golf course because <laughs> it is a leg breaker we do we do walk the entire back nine though but that front nine if you have to walk from five to six and eight T to eight green, our pace of play would be six hours because it just takes forever to get there. <laughs> That's one thing too about it. everything you just described about the course is still fair. It's still a test of skill, right? I mean, how do you, uh, you know, how do you adjust off a, a, a tee box that has a different slope to it? How do you adjust to a ball above your feet, below your feet? It's hard to practice it, but it's, you know, it, uh, it, it, I've got, I've gotten used to playing a ton of Florida golf. And when I got out there playing, I was like, oh man, I'm exposed. Like I just, I'm not ready for this. Right. So the, the cool part of it is on that back nine from 10 to 14, right? You're really in the open. There's no really any trees blocking you. So that wind is, is out there. And luckily, you have the room to start the ball wherever you want. 
but that wind is really whipping and you can you have to use it right the tee shots are not the hardest uh you can use the wind on your advantage but those shots into the green is not the easiest to fly the shot from 120 yards with a uphill lie into the wind of the left right it's not the easiest you still need to do it well luckily you have so many chances and a lot of those holes are downhill that you will see a lot of birdies but it's not like i don't want to over exaggerate how difficult it can be because obviously we all shoot low but if they ever decided to narrow the fairways to 35 yards, 35, yeah. which still it would be an incredible test of golf. Well, that's the thing. It's the scores are low because there's not even one, you know, meaty par four that is is a ball buster. You know, it's it's almost it's a ton of wedges. Even 17 is 560, but it's it's. I mean, you're not hitting. I, I hit a pitching wedge on Sunday. Exactly, so. exactly. But that's just why the scores at five is a par four, basically too. So. Um, like I said, so this was the only year I feel like it's played that short like in the past. There's no roll on the fairways. Yeah. So you are hitting five irons into that green. This year it was odd. Cause you could go, if you're a stand on that tee and you're looking at the bunker, you're looking at 60 yards further, right? At least for me with my fate that I can hit and you're still covering into fairway. I mean, I, it was incredible this year. And then you got the release. I had a nine iron into the green twice, which I've never had. Hmm. Right. In the past, I remember hitting four irons with the way below your feet crap right crap short it, i think five because it was downwind this year too it played about as easy as i've ever seen it but if it's ever soft again and the wind is a little bit in like it's been in the past where it makes six drivable god that would be a tough part four if you're hitting five irons into that green ah you're the best players in the world come on you can you can handle a tough part four well, i mean <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're tired of seeing 20 some under yeah i mean i don't think it really makes a difference it a four is a four five is a five it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It really it's only birdie and eagle stats. It's the only thing it makes a difference on. It's a mindset thing, though. I mean, guys, if you, you could, you know, if you had a 300-yard par three, you guys would you guys would lose your minds. Yet if it's a 300-yard par four, it'd be one of the best holes on the golf course. At least that's the sentiment I feel like I've seen in the past. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a fair assumption, yeah. It does change a little bit if you have an up and down for birdie or playing a par three, you just can't hit the green, man. I get it. Yeah. So, all right, a lot to talk to you about. First thing I want to ask is, your, I want to hear your thoughts on Rory not being at the first designated event in the year. It's within your guys' agreement that everyone will skip uh, one designated event. Uh, I I was surprised to see that he, he chose to skip the early one just because of the perception of that, but I'm curious what your reaction is to that. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, he doesn't have a history of playing a tournament. I think he's played it once. So I understand after hearing your guys' podcast and a couple other people mentioning it, I understand because he's taken a, such a role of pushing the game forward and being so outspoken about it. I understand why some people would expect him to be at the first one, especially being a limited field event and knowing that if he shows up with a C game, a top 10 is a very large possibility. I think it would be a good way to start the year. But at the same time, he also, he's been going to Dubai and Abu Dhabi to play those events for 10 plus years. So I'm not surprised he wasn't there. I, on the other hand, have never gone to the Middle East and play those events. And I love, I absolutely love that week. It's one of my favorite weeks all year. So he is kind of set on not having to play all the other ones, which I guess for marketing reasons is great. Yeah, what what has the discussion been like as far as, you know, deciding on these designated events and how guys were either going to play all of them or now getting to skip one? And take us to kind of, you know, an understanding, too, of how that works for 2023 versus how that may work for 2024 in the future of that. So, I mean, listen, even us as players, as some of us are involved, we don't know what the capabilities are, right? We don't know what the contracts of the PGA Tour say 
because they have 47 tournaments. So that's 47 different contracts and contracts with the FedEx Cup. Uh, they're limited on what they can do to a certain extent, right? You can't just blow up the entire tour because that changes the TV contract, changes the FedEx Cup contract, right? It changes everything. So it'd be a lot, an incredible amount of work to do to change it right away. Now, with that said, I was outspoken at the tour championship when we were required to play all those events and required to play all those things. Because if we're truly independent contractors, we should have the freedom to play whatever we want. So I think a lot of us were okay to give up some flexibility in a schedule with a give or take, right? And that's why I voiced it at the tour championship. And I think that's why they said, okay, you can miss one. And then you have the whole to the discretion of the commissioner, which that to me is a bit of a slippery slope to go down on. But it's, I think it's fair because, you know, you have people that have won tournaments that in certain part of a year, like if you won Colonial, like Sam Burns, right? You have PGA Colonial Memorial. And then before that, you have a couple other big events. Like you would end up going on a five week in a row stretch. Whoever won, if Tom Hoagie won AT&T, right, if I'm correct, that would be playing quite a few big events in a row as well, right? So now you're getting into people having to choose between defending the big events, not big events, sponsor commitments as well. So that flexibility in my mind should be there at least this year to allow players to play what they want because I think like you should respectfully come and defend the tournament, right, if you're a champion. So that's where I think it all came out of. Um, especially me selfishly being European and playing European tour. If I ever want to change the schedule and go play in Europe or whatever reason, having the flexibility is nice. Yeah, especially, and I guess, does 2023 being a Ryder Cup year affect any of that as well with number of starts that you guys need to play in Europe? Maybe yeah. not for you in particular, but maybe other European players as well. Well, in my case, yeah, like this year after Wentworth, I didn't have to play until Spanish Open, so I had a nice month off. This time you have the Ryder Cup in between, right? So I'm not going to have that luxury, so... It does it does affect how we approach what's going on, right? Uh, who knows? Hopefully, again, selfishly for me, because I'm not the few in this category, it would be amazing with this strategic alliance that PGA Tour and the European Tour have. It would be amazing to see some of those bigger events being in Europe and uh, them counting for European Tour events as well for us to not have to play as much, right? As in right now, if I want to keep my European Tour status, I play all the 19 events till August. And then Wentworth, Ryder Cup, Spanish Open, Dubai. That's just, I won't really have time off, right? So uh, I think the whole point for all of us is we would like to have the chance to to have time off in the fall. You can choose to play some events or not, but we would like to have the option to possibly take two or three months off. That's what we would like, I think. Um, and for whatever reason, in my case, because God, it would be nice to wake up one for a couple of weeks at home and not have to be grinding and spend time with my kids. Right? That would be that would be that would be very very special. I think also would make your career longer, you know, if you can actually have that time off. Well, I I've been adamant about. I think that there should be. I, I thought the Scottish Open last year was the the first co-sanctioned PJ Tour and DP World Tour event, uh, and I thought that was a great success. I thought it made a ton of sense to have a FedEx Cup race going on, a race to Dubai, uh, you know, going on at the same time. It was not confusing at all. It was great to see Ryan Fox in the mix with Xander Shoffley. Those two don't usually go head-to-head very often, and it felt like, wow, there's a lot of uh, the Venn diagrams really overlapping here, and I just haven't heard a whole lot of chatter about moving towards more of that, which it seems to make so much more sense for this new structure. And again, emphasizing 2023 is going to be different than 24, and 2024 is very much a to-be-determined thing here, but I'm curious as to 
If that, I'm, I'm guessing that you're pushing for that, but do you think that there's actual momentum momentum for that? I think so. I think yeah. so. I think the PGA Tour also recognizes is good for European golf and golf in general, right? You have a lot of a lot of people that would like to see the best place in the world together more often in Europe, and especially UK crowds have shown up every time somebody goes. Right? It's it's really really a treat to be able to play there. If JP's Pro Am isn't an example of it, where it's a benefit event fundraiser where you have you know half of ireland show up into that golf course right uh it's it's a perfect example plus you're also giving a lot your a lot of people in the european tour a chance to showcase what they can do there's a lot of fantastic players that may go win that event and earn their spot in the pga tour all of a sudden right there's plenty of them that have the talent to play it's just not that easy to get here especially if you start in europe it's a very difficult route it gives the tour a bit more of a broad sense and a bit more variety on what can happen. I would love to see that more often. That would be, that would be epic. I'm secretly, well, not so secretly pushing for one in Spain. I would love to see a big one in Spain, right? I go to play in Spain every year and, you know, since Sevi passed away and kind of the crisis hit, Spain hasn't had the big events they used to have. So I would love to see one there. Plus yeah, good weather, good food. Yeah, good golf. I think it's a pretty good country to be doing a big tournament on. Uh, if you can get past the meal times, meaning how late we basically have our dinners and lunches and everything else. But same with France, Germany, Italy, so many possible countries where you can be, do, be doing this on. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same one every year, right? You can you can put it around. Exactly. That's the thing that I think it, the rotation both domestically and internationally, right? I think it, you know, it, the PGA Tour is winning out in all of this, I think, overall. You know, it, it has been for 20 years, basically since Tiger. As more money has flowed to the PGA Tour, more European players have come to play the PGA Tour. And I think it makes the most sense for the best players in the world to accumulate there. However, that doesn't mean that has to only be in the United States. And I think there is a – the DP World Tour has seemingly, I don't want to say given up a lot in this. I think that they, you know, they're going to gain from this overall. But – some concessions have been made to make it, you know, almost a, a feeder system of some kind, right? There's there's PJ Tour cards to be earned through the DP World Tour. Now, getting some golf over there can and should be a priority. I, I agree with what you just said. I think we've heard since the whole live came up, right? We've heard a lot of people from both sides. You can hear say, you know, growing the game of golf, right? We're here to grow the game of golf. And I think when the WGCs happened, it was a missed opportunity. When you're calling something a World Golf Championship, and three of them are happening in Minnesota. I understand it's the biggest market, but I think you missed an opportunity, right? Why don't we go to South America more? Why don't we go to Africa at all, right? Why don't we go to Asia more often, uh, Middle East? They are golf-hungry out there, and they should have the opportunity to be able to see this, especially if you want to, you know, make golf a bigger name. If you take Formula One and tennis, they go all over the freaking place, right? So I think we have an opportunity to make that happen. Now, Lyft did it, so that might not be something the PGA Tour wants to pursue as much, but I think it's it's an opportunity there to to take the PGA Tour and the game of golf to different places that may not see it in, in a regular basis. That would be, it's an opportunity. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's interesting, right? But it's a, you know, the the thing that the PGA Tour and DP World Tour have to do, they work within a, a real financial system that has the money coming in is what goes out. There's no Prince money that, that funds it all that is, you know, you yeah. got to make it make business yeah. sense too. That's a huge challenge. But, yeah. but if you make one of those big events or you're guaranteed to have 17 out of the top 20 sure. players in the world, right, you will have people that show up. 
you can go to Singapore, you would have a crowd. You would have this, right? Like you just TV ratings might change, obviously, because it's different timing. But go to South Africa, go anywhere. They will you have one of those events in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I mean, they'll turn up. They'll be there for sure. And because, I mean, they want to have it there, right? So it's, if you can guarantee the biggest players in the world, which up until now has been a sketchy thing to do, now you can kind of do it. I think it's an opportunity. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach and official fitness wearable of the PGA and LPGA Tours. It is New Year's resolution, SZN. I'm tracking my data a lot more responsibly these days. One of my trap draw goals was to get to bed at earlier time, wake up earlier, be a little bit more productive with my time. You can monitor that directly in your Whoop. It's smaller, it's smarter, it's designed with bio metric tracking. It includes your skin temperature, your blood oxygen. It's got a smart alarm. It's designed to wake you up feeling refreshed, ready to take on your day. There's a psychological effect to these things. When you see several red days in a row, your phone is basically telling you what your body is trying to tell you as well. Like you need some rest, man. Like go sleep for 10 hours, go do it, go figure out a way to do it. Uh, I know it's, it's easier for some than others, but it, it's great information to have. It'll affect your decision-making in a positive way. And the all new waterproof device is free. When you sign up for a whoop 4.0 membership, if you are an existing member and you have six months left of membership on your account, you can upgrade now to the 4.0 for free. And they're offering 15% off when you use code NLU 15 at checkout. So go to whoop.com W H O O p.com enter nlu15 at checkout to save 15 percent. let's get back to john rom a conclusion i've reached through all of this and dating really back to august when you guys got in a room in delaware and met has been it has been i think extremely hard for pga tour leadership to take 200 different opinions that come into them and come up with the best option and that you guys are you guys are uh you know share in some of the blame if you will for not getting in a room sooner to have discussed the best way to make your product marketable, right? It, it's everyone, as the years have gone by, it just kind of slips and slips and slips. It's hard to get people in the same room because you guys don't all play the same events, right? And it seemed like a light bulb has gone off in terms of understanding how much power you guys have as the top players in the world. What's your reaction to any of that? I'm open to any any critiques of that. Oh, you're asking why we haven't done it sooner? I'm saying, do you, do you agree that you maybe should have, that you should have done that sooner and that wasn't... Well, We've heard this thing many times as players. We are the PGA Tour, right? Yeah. For management, we've heard that many times. We're players. Our job is to put the product out there. It shouldn't be our job to revolutionize and start thinking about how making how to make the PGA Tour better. That, to me, is management's job. It's their job to innovate and is their job to change. They did it with the FedEx Cup in 2007, and they should have kept trying to innovate and make things different and more enticing for the consumers out there, right? So that should be the office's job, not our job. My job, John Rom, is to shoot as low as I can and try to win a golf tournament. Their job is to put the product out there. They give us a platform yet, but it should be their thought, right? Now, with the appearance of Liv, it gave the players a perspective and a level of power that we didn't have before, or we didn't understand we had. So we kind of could put our foot down and make some changes that we wanted. And that's how it's happened. But this, this shouldn't have come from us. I don't think it should have been the players. I don't think it should be like in baseball, like, you know, how they have a, what is it, a lockdown or whatever they do every three years to to get more money or get whatever it is. I don't want to be doing that. We shouldn't be put into that situation of threat not to play or threatening to do to go to live to have a change, right? It should be their initiative as managers, let's say, yep. management of the PGA Tour. Uh, I also understand it's very difficult to all of a sudden 
change something that has been working, right? I mean, it's increasingly purchases have gotten bigger. They've everything's gotten a little bit better. But when you lose Tiger Woods, which I think the greatest thing, blessing in disguise was Tiger winning the 2019 Masters, right? All this money kept flowing back in because everybody thought, oh, Tiger's back, right? And you don't know how long he's going to be back. At this point, you know, he's going to play four, maybe five times a year, right? So now will be the time to be making some changes. I think if he hadn't won that Masters, which I don't even want to think about that world, but if he hadn't won that Masters, I think the PGA Tour would have been pushed to make some changes earlier. Because you can't count on a once every 50 year generation talent or more to come up and fix your problems because that's just not fair. This is not basketball. You're not going to have a next superstar, you know, dominating like that because it's a little different to to other sports. I agree with mo- almost all of what you said there. I think Keith Mitchell made a great point that said right after kind of that meeting happened, he said, if Jay Monahan and the tour would have come to you guys and said, hey, you're all going to play these events the reaction would have been a lot different than you guys getting in a room and deciding together to go say, here's what we want to do. PGA tour, go make this happen. Does that, does that part at least make sense? Right. If they, if the tour had come to you to dictate, okay, what you guys would have done, uh, that would not have gone over as well as maybe it, it it has. And the momentum wouldn't be the same. Listen, I think, uh, as individuals, we don't like being told what to do. Exactly. (laughs) But if they put us in a room and they say, Hey, we're thinking about this. And we all discuss. So they come to us about the change. I think it would have been different. We can yep. give our opinion instead of us having to go to them. Which, listen, however it is, it's happening. Whether you like it or not, or you like the process or not, changes are happening. They're good changes, right? So that's all I can say about that. But if you were to tell us, hey, you're going to have to play this event, but you're going to be playing for $20 million, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we all go, okay, we're doubling the purses. You're doing all these things. We're playing against the best players in the world. At the end of the day, it is a better product. Oh, it's fascinating. I can't wait to see how it all plays out. What did you think of the first, uh, besides winning it, what did you think of the first designated event? Did it feel any different at all? It, it, as a player, what, what, did you, what did you think of how that went? So one of your guys in the podcast nailed it. I think that tournament is so unique. It has so much character by itself that it really didn't feel that different. Yeah. Right? The, the, the field size didn't really change. We had 39 instead of 34. Still great players, right? Uh, it, it really didn't change that much to how he felt. I'm sorry, Century, you probably don't want to hear that. <laughs> but to me, you know, because of how special it is, it's one-off, right? It didn't feel that different. Now, I bet well, Phoenix is not maybe the best example for something like that, but, you know, it, it will start feeling a little bit different. Maybe the environment around it, but as players, you know, I can promise you I've never had a shot on the PGA Tour thinking about money. So that shouldn't really change how we play. But the crowd atmosphere might make it a little bit better. Uh, that's why I said Phoenix is already at an, you know, always an all-time high, so it won't be mattering. But LA will probably be different. Bay Hill will probably be better, right? Everything will be getting increasingly better. I did like it, though. I mean, you now have certain events for the regular people watching that can highlight, oh, my God, we have this event coming up, right? I mean, when you have that many events in the PGA Tour, it's very easy to forget and just, oh, here's the Masters, right? And then next is the, the player Championship, right? So you can have a, you know, a bunch of other tournaments to be looking forward to that would be major quality, especially with the quality of players you're going to have there. I thought it was, as a viewer, it was great. It was, a, a, you know, I'm going to watch that tournament anyways. Having a, you know, a 20% better field elevated the event. I mean, I, I know we're not supposed to use that word elevated, but it, uh, it, it, you know, it was nice to cut over to Fitz, cut over to Tom Kim. Like it just, it, it really mm-hmm. was, uh, it kept your, kept your attention as a viewer. I think they, they stepped, the NBC stepped out their game. I thought so from too. what I've seen, uh, from from what I've seen, that broadcast was 
significantly better to what has been in the past. The live drone shots of the balls rolling down 18, sick. For people that don't know, that is so hard to do. Because yeah. I didn't even realize there was a drone in the far away. Because right? those things are loud. Like if they're around the T-Box, they can bug you if they move and they're adjusting, especially on the wind. So to be able to have those shots, uh, I mean, I thought it was sick. I think they're getting much, much better at producing, let's say, the product that that everybody wants to see. Because I watch golf. I love watching golf. And there's been times where I'm like, man, this is hard to watch. And if I love this game that much, I can only imagine somebody who's not that into it. <laughs> Thank you, John Rahm. That is the, the, basically where uh, our biggest takeaway from the last 10 years has been like, this has got to get more entertaining to watch. But how, okay, I, let me ask you, how do you make it more entertaining? Because it's not like you have nonstop action, right? It's it's difficult to do. It is, it is. But what you just described helped. And I think you guys all getting together on the same golf courses helps. Like it helps to just yeah. be able to cut to a guy that we have a lot more context on and it helps to, you know, the commercial windows are going to be what they are, but it helped like the final hour presented by Callaway that was commercial free. And it might've been a little scripted to have the Callaway guy come from way behind it to go win the golf tournament. I don't know if that was fake or Truman show stuff, or whatever it was, but like little things yeah, like we're, that. We're all paid. We're all just actors. <laughs> little things like that just are going to keep, I mean, what's going to yeah. about to happen with golf when this Netflix series comes out is there's going to be a, an increase in people that are at least interested in watching it, right? And if it was, if they're met on Sunday with a product that even you describe as hard to watch, then they're not going to stick around mm -hmm. as much. But if they can just do little things to hook you in, it's not drastic changes. It's just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm more hopeful after seeing, uh, you know, what what happened in this first event. I think so. I just, I also understand it's difficult. Oh, to God, do. it's so hard. It was very easy, like I said, when you had Tiger on TV for four hours, and all you had to do is Tiger show Tiger walking and they'll have something to talk about, right? Um, again, it's just a transition they're going to have to figure out. I get it. Yep. It's not easy to do, but it was nice to see all these new adaptations to it. It was very cool. 100%. All right, I'm ready to talk OWGR. I'm very excited to talk to you about, Go ahead. about this topic. So you, as I'm going to start off by saying... I could be very wrong on what I'm saying. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just giving you my opinion on how it feels like as a player to play the way I have and not change at all in the world rankings. That's, that's just my, 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 my sentiment on it. I understand that. I think we can get down to what I think is a flaw in it that I think would address a lot of what you're talking about here. But you know, you've noted you won three times in your last five starts. You've moved up, I think, one spot in the world ranking, if even that, in that time. No, you five to no, you haven't moved up at all. Oh, uh, maybe I went down to six for a brief moment sure. in Pat Zander, but I mean, I it, I haven't changed. Well, let's let's start it with this. What do you think the purpose of the OWGR is, and do you think that's yeah. different than what you think it should be? So there is some issues that the old system had, right? Like, oh, I think every tour or most of the big tours could have a flagship event that would have a minimum amount of events, right? So BMW at Wentworth had a minimum 75 points. Right. No um, matter how think, weak for the listeners, no matter how weak the field was, it was defaulting to giving yes. 75 points or whatever. It yeah. Was to yeah. First and place. like the yeah. Spanish open was a minimum of like 26 and the things like that, that, that made sense to me. Right. So I think on the way of trying to make a deeper field, you know, of good players stronger, they devalued the selective high level events, meaning even though we're getting more points per player, if you go to the numbers in a 50-man field with the best players in the world, the winner gets me as a winner of Century. I got the same 20 points as Adam Svensson winning RSM, right? Even though there was no top players at RSM, we had 17 in the top 20. That, to me, is a mistake. 
that to me feels like beating the best players in the world, no matter how small the field is, is not getting, let's say, rewarded as much as it should be. Because by that law, the masters should be getting significantly less points than the players. Actually, most majors we get in significantly less points than the players, right? I mean, it's how it is. The PGA of the PGA Championship has twenty-five club pros that are not even nowhere near the world ranking, right? So, if you go by that logic, you could do that to the majors too, right? That's that's kind of where everything goes, and I understand they try to make an adjustment of showing how strong the PGA Tour truly is, right? Uh, but I think they missed how much way the best players in the world should have in the tournament. And that's where where we talked about it, right? Like Winworth, I think you have big enough players too where you should be earning more points than whoever wins Napa. Sorry, Max Homa. I know this come a lot. I know this has come up a lot, but I think it's a harder tournament to win, right? That's because you're simply beating the best players in the world. And that was the explanation. That's basically what I was referring to and what I've been referring to, right? You get in hurt because you don't have players 70 to 150. And that's where I think that the, just to put this out and we can back into the logic behind this, but I think that the flaw here is in the limited field events, the points are spread too smoothly amongst the whole field and they should. So how it works now with the new system is every event distributes points. So there's a total amount of points that the, the event gets and they distribute it the same way, whether there's 140 people or there's 40 people in the field, same percentage wise. So basically kind of nah, like, that shouldn't be what that's. So you should be getting more points for winning century. And that should be coming from the near the bottom of the field. There's guys that beat one or two guys and they're getting world ranking points, which just like, shouldn't be the case. I can't believe I got only 37 when they told me I could have believed it. I'm like, this is insane. Cause I can guarantee you ever wins Phoenix is going to get 50 some. And that's, right? that's, but that's where I think like, the math of of how it works out there's and that's where i think people maybe don't fully appreciate not you but like in general don't appreciate like a zero strokes gain player like the average pga tour player if you add 30 of them to a field if i'm taking like you versus all 30 of them math wise like i would take the field against you like one of them is likely to beat you right that's just what the numbers would probably say i don't have that in front of me right yeah. so the new system kind of gives more credit to that and spreads it now I think you have three very poorly timed wins in this, right? Because in the current calculation, Patrick Cantlay's wins that were in the old system, which gave more points, are still there. And, you know, that's maybe why well, it's Well, that's the other thing. It'll yeah. take a while for it to adjust. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like Cass Smith, who is not getting any world ranking points, all his wins were before anything was changed. Therefore, right, the points are still there. Yeah. If they were to adjust what's happened, basically every rank, every system you have, if they were to adjust it right in and there, I think it would equalize and I'll probably be whatever, two, three, whatever it is. Right. But it's, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's, I it, probably already also would get more points for winning Mexico, which it was me and Tony Finau on a large field than on a really limited field event. I still don't agree with that, but it <laughs> happened. Right. Like I, I'll be the first one to tell you. So it's, even though it was a great week, I had a lot of fun. I won a tournament. First one since the U S open, right. That's always big. It's just, I, I will be the first one to tell you that it's just not on the same level as others, right? No matter how many players we have. So it's complicated. Listen, this is for mathematicians, statisticians, however, whoever has to be doing this, that's what needs to do it, right? But they just need to tweak a little, a couple things. Um, I, I think the better players should be valued in a better way. Uh, but I, I think I was told once to put it into perspective. If you make a field with number one and 50 in the world, 
I think the winner would get 54 points, they said. And if you get 51 through 150 in the world or 200, right, you make a field, the winner would get 32 points, something like that. So there is a difference, right? And it could be that a lot of, excuse my word in my bitching or my whining, is because the time hasn't passed and all those people that won early, like the first six months of the year, the points haven't been adjusted, right? That's kind of, it could be sim- as simple as that. Now, with that said, I do have contracts in place that say, based on my world ranking, I get X amount of money. So <laughs> I'm going to get a little salty. I'm sorry. <laughs> this just happens. That was my next question was, why does it matter to you? And I knew the answer to that, right? But it's, uh, well, I want to be number one player 100%. in the world, right? And if I, if I feel like I'm playing like it, that's, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is about almost feeling like getting the respect or the value that you should be getting as a player, which I'm not saying I don't, but it just doesn't feel reflected. I understand. It's very that. simple. And if I'm looking at the data, I, I like data golf rankings more than world rankings to, to show your, your, your skill level. Well, they do head to head, right? That's well, it's do. just more of a strokes gained kind of thing, right? It's not, um, it, it's more, which I think is a great thing for you in terms of, you know, I'll just pull Adam Svensson's name out. If you win an event and then miss three cuts, uh, that's different level of golf than you finishing fifth place every week, right? Whereas I, to that, would say John Rahm's the better golfer in that, right? You know, he didn't get the win, didn't get the big points, but, like, better golf was played over that stretch, and that's more of what their rankings reflect. And you're number two in those right now behind Rory and closing in very quickly. So that And that feels that feels uh, pretty accurate to me, but it's, it's, it's imperfect. But I do think, yeah, the, the, dis- the reason why I keep bringing this up and want to talk about it is with the new structure of the tour. And if there's limited field events with top players, it's They're going to keep looking at this being like, wait, why are there not enough, as many points in this? Why is the distribution the way that it is? And I think it, it does get solved by saying, let's more heavily emphasize if you win those events, you get more points and let's stop spreading it so thin throughout the, the rest of the field would be my overall fix for it. Yeah. Listen, I don't, I don't understand the full extent of it, right? Uh, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> so I, I, I know we, we, we had another meeting once, and I talked to some of the people in the PJ Tour and the World Ranking, and they said they're going to look into it and, and see. But I think, again, like we just mentioned, if you just let time pass, once those old points start disappearing, it will start making sense. I just don't want to have to wait two years for all those events to wait to just yeah. come off. You know, as I'm about to lose my U.S. Open points and all these other people are going to maintain all these big points, right? It's, it, it, to me, it's too long a transition for it to be in the proper state. Now, if you just keep winning, yeah. it doesn't matter. That so. was going to be my next comment. Just keep keep beating all the best players in the world. You'll be totally fine. But Exactly. Another question I had, several PGA Tour players have uh, requested releases to play in the Saudi International. Cameron Young is one of them, a player that's you know been in these meetings with you guys and seems to be, I would say, a relatively big part of the future of the PGA Tour. What, what's your reaction to that? These are uh, the same guys that are suing the PGA Tour are running this event. And uh, so, go ahead. I'm not 100% sure on all those things, but I'm going to tell you what I suspect. There's a couple things. Um, the six guys that got granted releases to play, right? So I believe some of those going might be interested in possibly going to live. My second reasoning would be, I think some players, I don't know who exactly, I think Cameron Young might be one of those. Because I know some people did, they signed a contract with a tournament to go play, right? X amount of money to go play for X amount of years. And you could get an illegal issue if you don't go or break that contract. And I wouldn't be thrilled to get into a legal issue with the Saudis, right? Because they have all the time and resources to make your life a living hell and you probably don't want that headache. Now, 
I also don't think, since it's technically an Asian tour event, does not really live and all that, I think if the PGA Tour wouldn't let them go, it could be that that will work against them in the antitrust For sure. lawsuit. So I think those three things are a combination. I don't know who's who, but um, I don't blame, you know, for either one of the reasons, right? For obviously, if you're trying to go, it's because you're trying to fulfill a contract and I don't blame them for not wanting to get in legal trouble. And I commend the PGA Tour for allowing them to go. Uh, I think, uh, I hope we're past the pettiness in between tours and we try to make a, figure out a way to make this the best situation we can make it. That's That would be my point of view, right? There's no need to throw any shade towards them and there's no need for them to throw any shade towards the PGA Tour. I think that, you know, could be done. Let's just, at this point, put out the best product and and let's see who lasts longer, right? If you're so confident yours is best, you shouldn't be trying to get them now, you know? Yeah on a battle on an argument in that sense. And I commend the PGA tour for letting those guys go. Uh, now there's also that rule of, I don't know if it's still in place where if you go, you have to go play pebble the next X amount of years. So that benefits a tournament as well that right now is completely underwater. So I don't know, but you know, when I mean underwater, I mean, literally because Monterey Peninsula is part <laughs> of the ocean. So, you know, it's a way to stay clean with the players and somehow maintain a pretty strong feel in the tournament. So uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, now I also understand uh, those guys, right? Owen, owning the Asian tour, right now trying to, you know, you're getting sued by a bunch of them. I, I understand the ethical line, but they signed a contract before all this started, so they might need to just fulfill it. Hmm. I, I'm curious, you know, as you as you discussed with Liv there and all of that, what, and I've heard a lot of players refer to reconciliation, whatever that looks like, you know, uh, come to some kind of agreement, some kind of, you know, what that looks like. I've always struggled to picture that. I think I'm, you know, potential reconciliation. I'm starting to crystallize a little bit of how it could work, but in your mind, what is a, what is an idea of how the two can coexist and kind of stop the, the, the back and uh, forth? I have a small thought on it, but I'm not sure if it would work. But the idea is if the PGA Tour is working towards changing, right, this year the fall series events won't count for the FedEx Cup points, right? If we ever get to a point where PGA Tour tournaments is like before 2007 is January 1st to last week of August when the Tour Championship is done, no more official PGA Tour events after that, you could get to a situation where if Liv only has 10 to 14 events, they could have those 10 to 14 events in September through December and never coincide with any other PGA Tour event again. Because what they're doing right now is obviously putting out their tournaments against the weakest PGA Tour tournaments and acting like they're better. Like they might be a better product. Well, put it up against Rev, put it up against the player, see, see who wins, right? That's my point of view on that. So instead of getting again on a petty battle of who's better or who's not, you could essentially end up in that situation. Let them take the fall. We take the rest of the year. There you go. Done. Kind of like the summer league in basketball, right? You have it in summer. NBA doesn't really care. Um, you can't really do it in a lot of sports, but you can do it in golf, right? Uh, now, with that said, that would put the European tour in a difficult position. But that's the only solution I see right now. Because I don't see a way where you're going to have players bouncing back and forth who are like, oh, we're finishing the tour championship tomorrow. I'm part of the, you know, tomorrow I'm part of the the high flyers and playing. I don't know where. <laughs> so that, that, to, to clarify that, you don't see, you're not saying play in the fall so PGA Tour players can also go play and live in no. the fall. Right. No. God, no. I think you should make a choice. Right. I know we're independent contractors, but man. Uh, plus, if you want to play, go ahead. We're playing 20 events, but another 14 
35, 34 tournaments a year, that would be any of you playing Ryder Cup, that'll be 35. That's a lot of tournaments to play, especially going around the world in the fall. So I don't think anybody would choose to do that. But I don't think any, like, I don't think the PJ Tour would go for that either. They're not going to allow somebody to sign a $100 million deal with them to then also be double dipping on the PJ Tour. I don't think they would. And do you agree with that philosophy as a PGA Tour player and as a professional golfer? I mean, I, I think a lot of the live players have have made the case and have, have have said we should be able to double dip. We should be able to do both of those things. For the listeners' sake, can you explain either whether or not you agree with that and why that might be the case? Since it's not a possibility, I haven't given it much thought. I really haven't. I think a lot of this, again, gets into the independent contractor definition right but when you sign with the pj tour you sign i think i don't know if the word the, the word that i'm gonna say i don't know legal words okay <laughs> but you sign some type of exclusivity deal right they own the right to your image that's probably the first problem that <laughs> right the first problem you have there and again you need permission from the pga tour to go play in other tours which have granted in the past they've just chosen not to do it with live which is fully in the right i believe so i don't know i don't necessarily think you should be able to do both right i'm not judge anybody feel free go to live take the money do whatever you want i'm not going to judge if, if that's your choice but double dipping and doing both seems uh you know just to me it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do but again we can we, i can disagree with players on it they can think whatever they want i'm fine with it i just don't think you should be doing both, right? I don't know. I said right now, I don't see a possibility of that happening. And I just, right now, I don't think it would be the right thing to do in the future. We don't know how things are going to shape up, but it doesn't seem like a possibility either. Well, that's what any chance I get to connect the dots of you've signed away your image, right? But the PGA Tour has gone and sold that to a lot of different sponsors and, and television partners to say, here's what John Rahm is worth. And also, he just won this tournament, and here is $2.7 million, John Rahm, for us putting this tournament together for you and marketing this and selling this. And it's Let's also not forget, which I think a lot of people forget, you're getting those contracts by Lyft because of the platform that PJ Tours allowed you to play in. 100%. Period. Period. So you owe, obviously, your talent takes you far, far, but to an extent, you owe that platform to the PGA Tour. So to still use that platform to stay relevant and make more money in the other place just doesn't seem right. And that's right? where... If you're confident, just wait till the other platform gets bigger and your worth is whatever it is. That's... Right? I mean, I wouldn't be known anywhere if I wasn't the PGA Tour. Very simple. That's that's why it's awkward to I say. I can ask but... the average golf fan how many European Tour players they know. And even though they're great players, they probably don't know that many. Yeah. Unfortunately... That's what it's always awkward to say, but if if despite your obvious talent, like your golf is not really worth anything without a stage to compete on, right? And you, it, like you can go around to clinics every now and show off your driving ability and things like that, and people can pay for that. But without a stage to compete on, your golf is really worth nothing. And the pooling of all of your guys' rights is where all the the value is derived from. And look, is it perfect? Is everything perfect? Of course not. But I that, would always ask people, how many CFO players do you know? <laughs> yeah, it's another league. None, yeah. right? It's it's the biggest platform. Is is that has the pool? It's it's very simple. You want to see the best against the best, and that's in right now is when the PGA Tour. Again, I'm gonna say it one more time because it's you don't know what the future holds, right? And I hate to give a statement that says this is gonna be like this forever. You don't know what's gonna be like in the future. That's why I keep saying this. And right now, that's kind of how, right? You to an extent owe the PGA Tour something. 
you've earned it. Yes, you've earned your spot there, but they allowed you to have that platform to to be and and have that image. That's that's my my view and at least on it uh, for the time being. That makes a lot of sense. You've advocated for live players to be able to play in the Ryder Cup. Have you gotten anywhere with that? How do you think that will play out? Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I saw they posted, I think it was it, the Ryder Cup posted a video of Molinari's birthday, right? Like they were doing that. The day before I knew it was Sergio's birthday and they didn't do it. So I think the decision has been made for me. Uh, I think the Ryder Cup is above, in my mind, PJ Tour and any of those things, right? The Ryder Cup could be the biggest marketing tool golf has without, we don't get paid, we don't get points, we don't get anything except bragging rights if you win or lose, period. Again, it's a bit of, in my mind, I always try to think of the point of view of golf, right? What's best for golf? And you want to see the best players there. Sergio is the greatest Ryder Cup player in history, statistically, points-wise. Um, there's some people that have made the European team be who, the, who what it is, right? Sevi being one of them, Faldo, Monty. You have many staples on each one, on each side in European. I, I mentioned those, right? I think Sergio is one of them. Poulter is one of them, right? So when you've been part of the team and you've made the team what it is, to not be allowed to be involved in any way, I don't necessarily agree with it. Plus, I think Europe, I mean, it's Europe against the U.S. It's not the PJ Tour against Lyft. So to me, you should give those players the opportunity to, to be part of the team. Now, you're also playing with, if there's some, right, if, if there's some, let's say, for lack of a better word, beef in between players, you don't want that in the locker room. So as a captain and as a European, they need to do what's right. Uh, I also think it could be, listen, even though it hurts me because I have so much fun with Sergio and, and we play so good that I would love to keep playing with him again. You have some young Europeans that maybe they wouldn't have made it because they haven't had a chance, but we have a lot of young players that will have a chance this time in Europe. So I'm hoping, you know, it could be a fresh start. We see what the U.S. team did last Ryder Cup with a younger team. So not that we're going to win 19 to, what was it, 9, 8, whatever it was. I don't know. I, I try to forget it. Not that we're going to do that, but, you know, you have a fresher start on the team. So, again, there's always a positive in, in every situation. But, yeah, I think with that post, uh, that decision was made already, and, and they just haven't announced it. Well, I also think I mentioned that on the press conference, both sides need to make a unanimous decision, right? Obviously, you can't have one team allowing live and the other one's not. Doing. I don't think the PGA is going to allow live players to play, but if they decided to do it, I think the European team should open that possibility. That's where I'm not even sure where I net out on this one. I know it's extra confusing because like President's Cup is PGA Tour, and that's obvious that live players shouldn't be able to compete in that for obvious reasons, yet... Ryder Cup is DP World Tour on the European side, but PGA of America, then it's just, it just, it almost is like, it's a slippery slope, honestly. If like, if I'm, if I'm here as an American fan and I, and you say you want Sergio, I'd be like, I wouldn't mind adding Dustin Johnson to the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Is that a net win for you guys? I don't know the answer to that, you know, so. Um, Listen, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah. Why well, say, and if Europe says, screw it, we're having them. It's only fair for the Europe for Americans to have that option too. Yeah, well, I, I just think that's such a different battle than this PGA Tour. Like the, the what we just talked about with media rights and all that is very obvious to me as to why you can't double dip. But Ryder Cup is not nearly as obvious to me, and it's I don't have a clear answer on that. And I'm uh, I I want to say like no, of course they can't play, but then I'm like, wait, why can't they? Yeah. Like it kind of makes sense. <laughs> 
but I don't know. Right. It's, it, it's complicated. It's tough. But you don't, you also don't want to have a negative environment, right? Like you don't want to have the essence of the Ryder Cup will be there no matter who plays. Yeah. Live players being allowed in the Masters, um, invited to the Masters, I should say. Where do you uh, agree with that? Was that what you were expecting? A hundred percent. Again, so, majors should stay away. They should be allowed to play majors. You've, you've earned the right. I don't see why not. You want a the Masters, a Claire Jack, whatever it may be, you've earned the right to be there. I don't. This is PGA Tour versus Live. It's not majors are, are a part are you know a different animal, right? So they choose who can play and who can't play, right? That should be should be how it is. And I don't think it's good for golf to not allow seven past champions to play. What do you know about uh, Marco Simone and how that uh, how that fits the uh, European uh, European team's uh, playing style? Well, I actually haven't I haven't been there yet. I've heard this quite hilly, quite 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 hilly. A lot of times it's the setup, right? You're going to have narrow fairways, thicker rough, and slower greens, right? Completely away from what essentially the Americans would like. So the setup does a lot of it. Obviously, when you have the chance to design a golf course, they're going to try to pull towards Europe and, and our strengths. But um, I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm going to plan to go before the Ryder Cup. Uh, I don't know if I'll be either before or after the open championship or before or after Wentworth will be one of those two. I'll, I'll definitely make uh, the effort to go there and, and, and play it a couple of times to see it before the Ryder cup. But um, it's, I don't know that much about it. That's all I can say. Yeah, I've heard it very hilly. I'm like, okay, that's all you can tell me about it. Great. <laughs> it looks like the last three holes are really cool for competition. The driver will part four, 18 below part five, right? You can have a bit, a bit of everything, but a lot of it comes from setup. Yep. You can set anything up to favor one or the other team. Last question I'm going to ask you. This is I, I need to add this to my question that I ask everyone on the podcast. What's a shot on the PGA Tour that makes you the most uncomfortable or that gives you the most things uh, the most anxiety? What's a shot that like a lot of it is circumstantial? Yeah, a lot of it. It's hard to say one man, just one. Anything come to mind of like oh that tee shot? I just can't hit it with my fade. It, but I don't know. I was just curious what if there was something that came to mind of like. <laughs> well, there's a couple I can come up with. <laughs> Can't really hit a fade on the second second hole of Sawgrass. Can't really hit a fade at thirteen at Augusta. I'll say I've seen I've seen Corn Ferry guys hit a fade over the trees uh, number two at, at Sawgrass. Go up and over with a fade. It's it's not for everyone, but it's not what your eyes will go when you see that. But it's hard to do. It's very it's hard to do. Oh my god! I've I've, ser- I've seen somebody do it. Sergio did it for fun because we we're messing around, but you can also turn a five wood to the same spot. So. Mainly because there's always left to right wind there. That's why it's difficult. It's tough to hook it that much. And then the fairway slopes away. Like, it's difficult. It's it's hard because a lot of times in newer courses, any U.S. Open shot can get testy. I don't think most people understand how difficult the tee shot on 18 at TPC Sawgrass is. I don't think people get it. It's extremely, extremely tough, especially with that wind sideways. You never have it on one way. It's always sideways. Same with 17. It's the, the shortest, hardest shot you, you'll hit. So I'm going to say that one. Just because of, you know, how much, if you miss the fairway, either which way, it's a one-stroke penalty pretty much any time, right? It's difficult to save a par if you miss the fairway. So I'm going to say that whole. I love it. All right, John, thank you for the candid conversation. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, best of luck the rest of the year. I'm sure I'll be bumping into you at a couple of different tournaments down the road. But appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much, and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. My pleasure. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 
expect 